Good evening, I'm Abe Shapiro, and this is a special edition of Disabulletin. Tonight, we continue our series of the history of special education in the United States. When we last left off, we were in 1919 Antigua, Wisconsin, where the state Supreme Court had upheld the Antigua School District's decision to remove 13-year-old Merritt Beatty from the public school system due to his disability, a disability that would today be diagnosed as cerebral palsy. Upon further research, courtesy of the Antigua Supreme Court Law Library, we discovered the story inside the final years of Merritt's life. In a 1979 Ohio State Law Journal article published by Susan Smith Blakely, following the state Supreme Court's permitting his exclusion from the Antigua public school system, Merritt's parents, quote, hired a private tutor for their son, but had to discontinue the lessons because of expenses, end quote. Despite the many doors to equal education being shut in his face, Merritt taught himself to read with the help of his family. He went on to have a prominent presence in his community of Antigo, from helping put up Christmas lights on Main Street to becoming a local advertising salesman with clients up to 150 miles from his home. He would often go so far as to walk 10 to 15 miles a day, hitchhike, and travel via bus. Finally, in 1966, the city of Antigo's Chamber of Commerce took a step that might be considered a type of reparations. They awarded Merritt a lifetime membership to the chamber, the first honor of its kind for any citizen of the city at that time. On May 13, 1989, Merritt Beatty died at the age of 84. This broadcast and the coverage are dedicated to his memory. We now turn ahead the clock once more, this time to 1930s Ohio. Incensed by the continued exclusion of their children from public schools, a group of local parents in Cuyahoga County, Ohio, established the Cuyahoga County Council for Disabled Children in 1933. Although this was one of the first organizations founded to advocate for such students, the gradual mobilization of parents against the exclusion of their children had been building for some time. Although this wasn't mentioned in the 1893 case Watson v. Cambridge we covered last time, According to Janice B. Fine's 1989 dissertation for Loyola University Chicago called Catalyst for Change, Parents of the Handicapped, 1930 to 1960, several states had established special education classes in the years before. These included New York in 1874, followed by Cleveland in 1875, with Rhode Island founding the first, quote, school for backward children, end quote, in 1896 three years after the Massachusetts-Watson case was decided. But there were challenges in these newfound solutions. First, there were often two sections of such classes, those for, quote, intellectually limited, end quote, and, quote, emotionally and behaviorally maladjusted, end quote. What's more, these classes were not only mixed together, but became, quote, disciplinary rooms, end quote, rather than effective learning environments. And in smaller towns, such as Merritt Beatty's home of Antigua, Wisconsin, such children could remain in public school classes as long as they didn't disturb the flow of instruction. Although there was a gradual expansion in special education classrooms, with such instruction becoming law in over 14 states by 1930, laws in other states and a diverse populace of disabled students made such progress difficult. Some states paid for classes, some didn't. Some provided training for teachers and some didn't. But if a child was deemed to be, quote, ineducable, end quote, they could still be excluded from public schools. 
we now return to Ohio. The same year as the founding of the Cuyahoga County Council for Disabled Children, cracks began to show in the walls built to keep out students with disabilities. From 1931 to 1933, the Cleveland City Heights School District operated what was known as a, quote, opportunity school, end quote, for students with a low IQ. However, in November 1932, with the school in full operation, the Cleveland City Board of Education adopted a resolution stipulating, quote, pupils now enrolled in the school having intelligence quotients below 50 will be retained in the organization until the end of the current school year. But beginning in September 1933, all pupils below a 50 IQ will be excluded, and the present group of pupils of this type will be segregated from all other school pupils at an early date if such arrangements can be made without incurring any relatively large expense, end quote. One of those students impacted by this sudden shift, eight-year-old Opportunity School student Beldine Goldman. Three months before the Cleveland Board of Education adopted the resolution excluding her, Beldine was given an IQ test by a Miss Wagner showing an IQ of 44, below what would soon become the 50 IQ threshold required for disabled students to remain in school. In November 1932, the same month as the resolution by the school board was passed, a Dr. Markey gave Beldine a test with a result of 61. The next test was made by the Brush Foundation of Cleveland on May 8, 1933, and according to information given by the superintendent, although no representative of the foundation testified, the result was 47. On October 23, 1933, a Dr. Newcomb examined Beldine for the final time, and found her to have an IQ of 55. That sweltering September of 1933, Beldine's parents Ben and Goldie were informed by the Cleveland School District that because Beldine had tested below the IQ of 50 threshold, requiring her to remain in the Opportunity School, she would be removed prior to the upcoming school year. Ben Goldman, a lawyer, decided to take the matter to court and filed a suit against the board. In his argument, Ben cited that as Belding was between 6 and 18 years of age, the ages requiring students to be in school, according to another Ohio law, such expulsion was at odds with the exclusion resolution passed by the Cleveland Heights School District. On the other side, the school district argued, based on Belding's lack of progress in the two years prior, and their power to decide which IQ test could be accepted as grounds for exclusion, they were well within the right to remove Belding. Court documents further state that after the Board of Education of Cleveland Heights determined that this child was unable to profit substantially by further instruction, quote, the matter was submitted to the State Department of Education at Columbus, which department at first approved the removal of Belding, but then reversed itself and returned the matter back to the Cleveland Heights School Board. It was then that the parents of Belding filed suit in the Cuyahoga County Court of Appeals. In that decision, the county court said only the State Department, not local districts, could determine which students were uneducable, end quote. The district then appealed to the Ohio Court of Appeals, which ruled on April 4, 1935, that, quote, There is no doubt but that school boards in the exercise of their powers in these matters have a wide discretion, and that the courts will not interfere with that exercise of sound discretion in the absence of an abuse thereof, end quote. It appeared that the court was singing a familiar tune, as that of the Wisconsin and Massachusetts courts had done in the case of Beatty and Watson. But then, a sudden shift. The decision then read, quote, It is to be borne in mind, however, that not only compulsory attendance is required by our laws, 
but also that the right to attend our public schools belongs to the people. Education for all youth is deemed of paramount importance. It is the foundation of popular government and is considered so essential that between certain ages, children must attend our schools. We must then conclude that the Department of Education, as in the State Department of Education, may prescribe the standards and examinations and approve the agencies or individuals by which they shall be applied and conducted, but that under that section a determination of the question must be finally made by the Department of Education. In this case, the Department of Education made no final determination. Without such final approval or determination by the Department of Education, we think that this child was not excluded in accordance with the provisions of the statute, and that the court, meaning the common police court, was right in granting a writ of mandamus, end quote. That's legalese for when a court orders an individual or a group of people to do something, and in this case, reinstating Beldine Goldman. However, the court also said that, quote, as a matter of common sense, it is apparent that a moron of very low type or an idiot or imbecile who is incapable of absorbing knowledge or making progress in the schools ought to be excluded, end quote. Therefore, while it would seem that the Goldman family won, since the state board did not have a rule banning disabled children below a certain IQ, exclusion is technically still in place. But we could consider this court case to still be a victory for special education. Although Disabilitin was unable to find what happened to Belding Goldman, according to Doing Disability Justice, a book on disability advocacy written by the late Ohio Court of Appeals Judge Larry A. Jones, quote, perhaps the Board of Education did adapt a rule. Otherwise, why would the parents of Belding Goldman have incorporated Cuyahoga Council for Disabled Children in 1935 and then have founded their own school, end quote. Next week, the trail of parental advocacy groups continues to expand, and groups of parents in states including Pennsylvania and Minnesota found organizations that would go on to change the face of special education forever. A Pupiro WFHB News, Live and Learn.